unless you've been living with your head in the sand, with your head under a rock for the last four months, since the terrible attacks of October the 7th in Israel, when over 1,400 Israelis were slaughtered, unless you've been in that position where you have cut yourself off completely, you will have heard a lot about that place in the world known simply as Gaza. Yet Gaza isn't a place that is just recently features in the annals of history or indeed of world politics. In this eighth chapter of Acts, we have a notable, we have a particular reference to that place called Gaza, specifically what the Lord did there on one occasion, one day almost 2,000 years ago. You know, I love this book. I love the Scriptures. I love this book that we're considering and teaching from this morning. That is the book of Acts. I love this book. I love it for many reasons. It is, in fact, one of my favorite books in all the whole of Scripture. But I love it particularly for the way it records the rapid, even the miraculous growth of the first century, of the New Testament church where special measures were given by the Lord for those special times. This eighth chapter in particular, and we've really read from it all. We've missed some of the verses, you'll have noted that. But we've read from the first right through to the very last of this eighth chapter because it in particular marks that very fast-moving and that very exciting epoch in the life of the early church on how the Lord used one individual to reach another individual for himself. Let's consider Acts chapter 8 for a few moments this morning. You see, within the remit of the 40 verses of this chapter, we have many different themes covered. I've in fact identified a couple that I would love to preach this morning But that is not the burden of my message. We've many different events recorded for us as well. In fact, we have different characters given, character studies that are given by the Lord as he inspired this passage to be given. Not only have we have that, we have different geographical areas mentioned and covered as well, as well as, think of this, different people groups reached, different individuals Touched by the gospel as it went forth. In Acts chapter 8, in these verses, we discover how the Lord works within the masses, the great numbers, as well as with and through the individual. At the commencement of this eighth chapter, we read of the havoc that was wreaked the havoc that was caused in the early church by devout men, by particular uh, zealous Jews, men such as Saul, who's first mentioned here. No doubt others who joined him as well. We read of the persecution that the church of Jesus Christ suffered, endured at that time. In fact, in the opening verses, we read the end of the account of Stephen and how he was martyred at the close of the previous chapter and of the great turmoil that the church was under at that time. However, even in this, we read of great blessings that spread across 
the church at that time. Look at that first verse. Saul was consenting unto his, that Stephen's death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, I highlighted this in the reading of how important those references were. What do they mean? What do they teach us? You know, I do believe that it is somewhat of an uncomfortable truth at times. An uncomfortable thing. Sometimes it doesn't sit well with us. Especially when we're going through the midst of it. It it sometimes irks us a little bit when seemingly, and I use that word carefully, when seemingly negative things happen to us, but yet the Lord has it all planned for the greater good. For the work of Him. For His own work. For the purity and indeed the unity and indeed in this case the growth of the church one of the brethren mentioned it in prayer this morning and would mention it already in the bible class on to known to him of that verse that is so well known romans chapter 8 verse 28 where we read where we learn paul's words and we know that all things all things work together for good to them that love god to them that are the called according to his purpose You think about what we read here at the start of Acts chapter 8. It was as a direct, think of it this way folks, as a direct result of the persecution that the church suffered or endured at that time, that the church grew exponentially, directly because of the scattering of those true saints of God. True men and women of God who went everywhere and anywhere initially, of course, to escape those attacks in the church. But ultimately, and this is how the Lord providentially and powerfully moves, ultimately, but the Lord was planning and putting all that in place because they, as they were scattered, took their faith with them wherever they went. And they were not afraid of sharing and of preaching Christ to everyone they met, even at great personal risk, at cost to them personally. Do we read there in the opening words of this chapter how certain individuals were used mightily by the Lord for the spreading of the gospel message? All those, look at the last three words in that first verse, all those except the apostles. That's notable. In fact, that's a challenge surely to each and every one of us today. Now in verse 5, we're introduced to this man, Philip. In fact, we're not really introduced to him. This is the second time he features in Scripture. But here we have Philip as he went down to Samaria and he preached Christ to the people there. In actual fact, we come across him way back in Acts chapter 6. Because in verse 5, we read there of how he was one of the Seven deacons that were elected to serve the church in in Acts 6 verse 5. Not as we could be given for thinking. He was not the apostle who was named Philip. This is a very different man. This is just a deacon. This is one who had been elected for the washing and serving of tables and and the seeing of the practical needs of the church. That is the distinction in in the early church and Presbyterianism between the session, between the elders, and between the committee, between the working committee members. He was one of the ordinary five-eight. 
who were called to do the practical work. And yet the Lord was using him and calling him for this particular purpose. We'll not ask you to turn to Acts chapter 6 verse 5, but we read of it there of how the whole multitude, they were pleased at, at the way the, the elders or the way the apostles were leading them. They, were, they chose Stephen. We read of his martyrdom there. was a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, those seven individuals that were called into the practical work of the church. And Philip, this Philip, was one of those men. And you know, I thought about that. I thought about how the Lord had planned to use that ordinary five-eight, as we would call them, or as my father used to call them, the ordinary individuals, the ordinary backbone of the church, to be used in the propagation of the gospel and the spreading of the word. Because I fear more and more as we go further and further toward the Lord's second coming. I fear the spirit of the age in the church of Jesus Christ today is to simply lie back as members, as people associated with the church, as Christians today. It is simply to lie back and to let others do the work. Do we find that with this man, Philip, this deacon? Do we find that with those who were scattered abroad, who preached the gospel to everyone they had contact with? A thousand times, no. I fear that today we tend to lie back and let others carry the burden. We'll let maybe missionary societies reach the loss for the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, folks, that is a lie from the pit of hell itself because there's something that every one of us not only can do, if we're saved today, but that we're called to do. It is indeed the role, the responsibility. In fact, to go farther than that, it is the privilege of each and every one of us to play our part and to reach the loss for the Lord Jesus Christ wherever they may be found. Do we find that with this man, Philip? Not one of the apostles, just one of the deacons, the ordinary men of the church, involved and willing to be used for Christ in his day and generation. Is that not a challenge to you as it is to me? You know, I've thought about this. Because every one of us, you in fact, will come in contact with individuals that I or that your elders or that your minister will never come in contact with. You will rub shoulders with individuals and you will have opportunities with them that maybe no other Christian will have. If this passage teaches us anything, it is the fact that it wasn't all about the apostles, but the entire church bore the burden together. Now let us come to this portion. Let us come back to this passage and let us, because I think it is clear that Philip was used mightily by the Lord as he preached the gospel in that particular place, at the early part of Acts 8. In fact, it would be fair to say that he was used of God as his human instrument in revival blessing as he came to that particular area. Look at verse 6 of Acts 8. The people, and that word people, and when it's translated, it means a great throng. The people are a great throng with one accord. They were united in this. Give heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. He really was in the midst of revival. In fact, more than that, God's instrument in revival. 
In fact, verse 8 tells us, just a couple of verses after that, verse 8 tells us of how there was great joy in that city. But you know, something remarkable was about to occur somewhere else. The Lord was just about to call this man away from the midst of revival blessing to desert strip in Gaza. And that's what I want us to think about for a few moments this morning. Of how he was called from the midst of blessing to that desert in Gaza. First of all, I want us to think of the place to which Philip was sent. You see, the Lord knows exactly what he is doing. We do not believe in this false, this heretical notion that God had a plan and it failed. And therefore he went into plan B. And it failed, he went into plan C. And there's a number of plans. We're not sure exactly how many is in the number, but he, he tries and he fails and he tries and he fails. We believe right from the beginning of time, the covenant of redemption, we believe that God has a plan, a single plan. And he knows exactly what he's doing. We trust in the Lord that he knows what he's doing. He knew exactly where he was going to send Philip to. The Lord of God tells us very clearly here in Acts chapter 8, on down through that passage in verse 26, where we, where we jump to there just after we, we finish reading verse 6, we jump to verse 26, of how the Lord sent him to that particular place, that specific place, not just, to go, not just told to go somewhere, to go and serve the Lord somewhere else, but sent by the Lord to a particular place. Look at verse 26. Look at the phraseology of the words, of how the angel of the Lord spake to Philip, saying, now that was direct revelation in that time. The, the canon of Scripture had not been completed. The Lord spoke to Philip and directed him to that particular place. And what did he say? Arise and go toward the south, into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now just stop and think of that for a moment. Of how Philip was sent by the Lord to go to that particular place. Let me challenge you this morning. Let me assure you before I challenge you, there's a challenge already to my own heart. Let me ask you now, as I've already asked myself, has the Lord been challenging and dealing with you in any particular way? Has he been calling, challenging you about a particular mission field, about a particular place that he would have you reach the lost for the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe there's something that you can do and you're holding back. Maybe effectively you're saying no to the Lord. Maybe in your own mind it's not yet or maybe you're putting up some other reason or excuse, but effectively when you boil it down, you're saying no to the Lord. You know, Philip was commanded by the Lord to leave the blessing, to leave the revival that he was in the midst of behind and simply go at his command. Simply go to a particular part of what was effectively nothing but bleak, empty, windswept desert where he knew there would be nothing. This is something that, humanly speaking, would have made absolutely no logical sense whatsoever. But yet he went. He didn't know why he was been sent there. He didn't know for what purpose. He was simply told to go. It must have seemed like a crazy thing to do. However, we do not read of any questioning on the part of Philip. 
We do not read of any argument or any discussion over the matter. We do not even read of any delay. I have to be honest with you. Whenever the Lord called me into what we classify and call full-time service, I said no to the Lord to my shame for four years before I finally said, yes, Lord, I'll go. Not so with Philip. We we don't read of delay. We simply read, look at verse 27, and he arose and went. You think of what that cost him. You think of how he had to get up in in the place of blessing and go to this new place. Arise and go toward the south. To the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And I looked at my maps. I brought it up on Google Maps. It's so handy now. You can do that. Uh, Samaria, Jerusalem, Gaza, in fact, are in a kind of a triangle. From Samaria to Jerusalem is just over 65 miles. From Jerusalem to Gaza is just over 60 miles. And from Samaria to Gaza is about 80 miles. However, from Gaza to Ethiopia, where this Ethiopian eunuch was from, was much further away. You see the way the Lord Lord was coinciding their paths to meet at that specific time for a particular reason? In fact, from Gaza, where they did meet, to Ethiopia, where this man was headed, is probably around 1,300 miles, according to my reckoning. That's from here to Rome, the very southern tip of Rome, in fact. That's from here to Greenland or from here to Sweden or somewhere like that. A big distance, a huge distance. And yet he was told to, by the angel of the Lord, directed by God to go to that place that was nothing but a desert. Perhaps the Lord has something for you to do. Perhaps the Lord has somewhere for me to go. For that particular reason of the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bring it right down to local level. Perhaps the Lord has burdened your heart to go and speak to that man across the street. That individual that walks the dog past your house every day. Perhaps the Lord has challenged you about some opportunity to maybe extend a gospel tract or an invitation to the services here to that individual. Maybe it's someone just to sit in a meeting. That's what I often say when I'm doing the LTBS deputation meetings. That one of the principal requests we have is for people just, and I use that word advisedly, I don't really mean just because it's a massive thing, to get people just to go and sit in the pews and the recording sessions to fill out the numbers. Maybe that's something that you can do for the Lord. You see, Philip here was given specific, particular instructions from the Lord himself. But the key thing to note is here in the fact that he went. Think about Philip's obedience for a few moments. You see, we're living in a day, we're living in a generation when we're actively encouraged just to do whatever we feel. Just to do whatever we feel right and whatever feels good. But not so with Philip. He was determined. To do whatever the Lord would have him to do. 
You see, he could have come up with every excuse that we would use. He could have said that he had something more important to do. He could have said that, well, I'm in the midst of revival here. I'll not go yet. I'll go at some point. Yes, I, I hear the message. I hear the, the, of where I have to go to. After all, verse 8 tells us there was great joy in the city. And he was at the very heart. He was at the very middle of that. He could have said, I'm busy here. I'm involved in this, in this revival. In fact, that's what I did. Whenever the Lord began to call me to come into the ministry, into college, I was the youth leader at the church. I'd been the youth leader for about 10 years at that point. And I said to myself and said to the Lord, by way of excuse, I'm already doing something. I'm already youth leader. I'm already involved in the work of my local church. Surely that's good enough for me. But whenever the Lord would move us on, we ought to listen. We need to listen. We need to fully trust and obey. And what he would have us to do. Think of the individual to whom Philip was sent. We've thought about the place. Think about the person now. Do you know what almost overwhelms me? Over this past number of months, I suppose, the more I think about it, the more it comes to the fore. The more I study God's word is how the Lord cares for. How the Lord deals with. How the Lord is interested in the individual. We tend to measure things in numbers. The bigger the number, the better. Very often the Lord isolates the individual out of the crowd. What about you in the meeting today? Maybe the Lord has been challenging you about some thing, some sphere of service of late. See, time after time in God's word, we read of how individuals were dealt with, were touched, were spoken to by the Lord himself. Has the Lord been wrestling with you about a particular matter? Look at how the Lord was used this individual to reach another individual. We're told so much about the Ethiopian eunuch. Look at verse 27. We're told how Philip arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. We glean, in fact, so much from The words of verse 27. We're told a lot about this man. We're told that he was a foreigner. Man from a foreign principality. A man of Ethiopia. I think sometimes we're so insular in our reaching out. We don't maybe want to deal with them or them or or themans as we talk about in Northern Ireland. The Lord had a plan and a purpose even through this to allow the gospel to be carried into those far off lands 1300 miles away back into the into the land of Ethiopia via the means of this individual he was a man of power he was a man from that foreign principality he was a man of power a man of influence a man of position a man of possession he had he had much there he had a man he would have been a man of great substance to tell so much about this individual In fact, we can see how privileged he was to actually have had the scriptures in his own mother tongue. He was able to read. Not too many would have had the scrolls at that time. He had that privilege. He had that. But look at how even his interest was. Why was he there? The word of God tells us that he was in Jerusalem for to worship in verse 27. He was searching for something. You know, there's so many out there in the world without Christ, without the Savior, without the hope of the gospel, and they're searching for something. They've turned to false religion that fills the vacuum of not knowing about the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Are we willing to tell them? Are we willing to carry the gospel to them wherever they're at that the, that the Lord might meet them at the very point of their need? Think of how this man was touched by the word. Think of how Philip brought the word, how he preached to them that day. You see, the Lord directed his man. The Lord directed Philip to leave the blessing of revival behind and go to this desert place. Why? To reach this individual for himself. But what was it that stopped this man in his very tracks? What was it that caused this man to be changed for time and for eternity? It was simply this. And we should never get away from this, folks. This is central to what we believe. It was simply this. It was through the preaching, the means of the preaching of the living word of the living God. We can bring in our gimmicks, but they'll not work. We can bring in our methods and our means of filling God's house, but ultimately it will not work if we jettison and if we set to the side the preaching. It needs to be central, the preaching of God's word. What do we read from Paul's pen in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21 of how it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching? To see of them that believe. I, and in fact we in this church, and the minute this church gets away from it, I'll have nothing to do with it. Because we believe in the sufficiency of preaching. Of the power and the primacy of the preaching of God's word. That's exactly what the Lord used that day through his servant to stop this man in his tracks and to turn him around completely for himself. Look at verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. And preached unto him Jesus. You see this man used his wisdom. I, I love the way he, he approached that chariot that day. Or he approached that whatever the means of transport it was. And he opened his two ears and he kept his mouth shut for a while. There's wisdom in that. The difference between knowledge and wisdom. Well I could give you an example. Knowledge is knowing that technically that a tomato is not a fruit. And wisdom, or is a fruit, and wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Well, there's a, there's a wee example of the difference between the two. But what is the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing what not to say. And this man showed great wisdom. He approached that chariot and he listened before he spoke. And we read what he did say. Philip opened his mouth in verse 35 and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He got up into that chariot beside that man and he gave him the key to what he was trying to read. You see, I believe in the sufficiency of the word of God. I believe, we believe in the sufficiency of scripture. What did he preach unto him? Verse 32 tells us, in fact, we read there of, of that portion that he would have read from. He was reading there from the scrolls of Isaiah. The place of the scripture which he read was this. Look at verse 32 of Acts 8. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shear. So opened he not his mouth. In fact, he was reading from Isaiah 53. That was the portion that he was reading. That, in fact, was the portion that he was lost in that day. What did Philip do? He simply preached Christ unto him. You see, everywhere we open this book, everywhere we open the scriptures of truth, everywhere we open God's precious holy word, whether it's the Old Testament or whether it's the New Testament, 
Christ is to be found. That's simply what Philip did that day. He showed him how Christ was to be found in the scriptures. How Christ was found in that actual scripture that he was reading from that day. And it changed that man eternally. Changed him for time, but also changed him for eternity. I wonder, I just think about Philip today. And I want us to think about him. I want us to leave God's house today thinking about how the Lord used that man not one of the apostles, just one of the deacons who were called into that early church to serve and to labor for him, just as every one of us who are washed in the precious blood of the Lamb today, as every one of us are, we're called to serve. Does the Lord have opportunities of service for us? Has he been challenging you, maybe about speaking to that individual, that individual that we've a poor with, that individual that we can rub shoulders with? That individual who needs Christ in their lives. That individual who has that void that they're trying to fill, really, with everything else. I trust that we today might be like Philip. That we might be in tune, that we might hear the voice and direction of the Lord. And that once we've done that, and I preach to myself here before anybody else, once we've done that, we might go in accordance to his will. And may we be used in the salvation of precious, never-dying souls. It's the Lord that does the saving. But I thank the Lord today that he is pleased to use the human instrument to reach the lost. We'll just sing one verse of our closing hymn because time is gone. 467 on page 364. It simply says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word... What a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who would trust and obey. Maybe there's somebody today, and you know, maybe you're a Christian. But maybe you know you're living outside the will of God. I always liken the will of God to be like a hurricane. If you know anything about a hurricane, the wind speed of the hurricane is at the highest just at the wall of the eye, but right in the very center, all is calm. Is all calm for you? Are you in the center of God's will? Or have you been blown about? Do you know that he has something else for you? Four, six, seven, just the first verse, along with its chorus, please, standing as we sing. Father, we do thank thee for thy presence in the meeting today. 
Well, thank the Lord for thy word that we've been able to open, we've been able to read, we've been able to consider even together. And I pray, Lord, even through the stammering remarks from the preacher, I pray that thy still small voice might speak and might speak on. Challenge us, Lord. Have us to follow after thy will, whatever it would be. And Lord, we know that thy will for one person is not the, the, the will of God for someone else. Philip was called to that particular place. Philip was moved on and called into that desert arena that he might reach that individual for thee. And then even at the end of that chapter, we read of how he was moved on to other places where he preached the word faithfully. Help us to do that. Help us to follow the pattern that's laid down there of that faithful man of God. Lord, I thank thee as of then, thou art still building thy church one precious soul at a time. Oh Lord, undertake for us. We'll pray for thy servant that he might be able to, with health and strength given by thee, come back to take the service tonight. We pray that thou would draw near to him, that thou would bless and help. And Lord, that thou would give him precious, never-dying souls for his hire. Bless us, Lord, as we leave this place today. Give us mercy on the way home. Bless us in the meeting, my meeting that I have planned for tonight, elsewhere. In thy name we ask these things. Amen.